Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back to Cleveland Baseball Talk. I'm Jamie Turner, the uh, night manager for sports at cleveland.com, filling in for Joe Noga, who's off this week. And, of course, on the other side is the uh, legend of baseball knowledge and writing uh, around Cleveland is Paul Hoynes. And, Paul, things are kind of quiet today. Is that a good thing? I think that is a good sign, Jamie. Anytime these two sides aren't throwing mud at each other and or ripping each other publicly, hopefully they're they're in a room somewhere on a Zoom call like this one and trying to get something settled and trying to get a baseball season, you know, rolled out here at at, at some time in the immediate future. So you is there something going on with with the Indians uh, that might give you a little bit of hope that something positive is happening? Well, you know, I I was reading something uh, that, you know, teams have been, you know, kind of released their scouts, you know, that the scouts are back back on the road. They they came off the road, what, in March, early March. I think all teams called their scouts off the road because of the coronavirus and all the leagues were shutting down. High schools didn't even get started and colleges played about 10, 15 games. And that was that. So the fact that they're going out now is kind of encouraging. I I think, uh, you know, maybe some of them are pursuing, uh, you know, some of the undrafted players that uh, after Wednesday's last week's draft only lasted five rounds, 160 players compared to about 1,200 that usually get drafted in a 40-round draft. So, uh, you know, that, that might be some of the reasons they're out and about, the scouts are out and about, and maybe, you know, some games are starting to pick up again, or maybe, you know, there's going to be some, I don't know if they'll have, you know, the area code games, the showcase, show, showcase games, maybe some of those will will be uh, able to uh, be played, you know, in, in the, when the summer, you know, as the summer summer progresses. Yeah, I was I was kind of wondering whether or not the those you know the collegiate showcases you know whether it's in Maine or or Alaska where they tend to you know they'll get the leagues with wood uh, and wood bats, which I'm sure the scouts would really like to see. Because otherwise, I don't I would be kind of surprised what they're going out on the road for uh, beyond you know maybe targeting some some players, but they could do that from home, couldn't they? I mean, if they're going to be calling and talking to them. Yeah, do they... and, and, I, and I don't know, maybe they're, you know, they're, they're, they want to see them work out. You know, maybe some of the colleges and the high schools are holding workouts and, uh, you know, they want to see a kid if he's healthy and, you know, how he's progressing. Is he running? Is his arm, you know, does his arm still hurt or how is he, how he's rebounded from that? 
So Scott's on the road. That's a positive. And that wraps up our segment on <laughs> what's going on in baseball and MLB these, these days. But we have we can actually talk some baseball. And uh, one of the things we can do is uh, throw out a couple of Hey Hoinsies uh, that Paul received through. Uh, is this or this the normal email or was this through uh, subtext? This is through uh, email. This is through okay. The, yeah, the hey oranges. Okay, so let's uh, pose a couple of questions to Paul, and we'll see what we uh, learn. Uh, hey, Oinsy, I'm tired of the bickering between MLB and the players. I say cancel the season with all the important issues going on right now. A shortened season is worthless at this point. Well, say what you really think, Mike from Raleigh. Uh, what do you, What do you think, Paul? You know, I, I, I understand the, the frustration. I understand Mike's frustration. I think uh, all baseball fans are, are feeling what he's feeling right now. Um, but I do think it is important to have some kind of season. I'm not talking about a 20 or 30 game season here. I still think there's time for these two sides to uh, reach a decision, make an agreement and play, you know, between 55 and 60 games with a postseason, you know, that hopefully the regular season would end sometime late September. You'd roll out an expanded playoff, uh, you know, playoff procedure, and, and you could play maybe through mid to late October and, and, and get, get, you know, do the best you can in, in a very trying situation. I, you know, I, I understand about canceling the season, but I think it would really, really hurt baseball to go 18 months without playing a game. What do you think, Jamie? Yeah, I I certainly think there should be something is better than nothing. Uh, you know, it obviously won't be ideal. We talked yesterday with Jensen Lewis about how the everything about the season would be distorted in some way because, you know, you wouldn't have pitchers working anything like what they would do, well, obviously in 160 games. But if they do 50, you know, your Cy Young winner could have 45 innings. Uh, but at the same time, I think the added benefit would be if they can come to an agreement sometime soon, doesn't that at least give them something to put their, uh, hang their hat on for the 2021 negotiations? You know, you got to agree on something. And if you can start there, then maybe that's going to help down the road, uh, now that may be incredibly naive on my on my point, but they seem so. Both sides seem so adamant not to give any ground. They're going to have to give some ground. Somebody, I mean, the players, you know, basically said, "Okay, impose your fifty games, and we'll we'll play, and we'll you know, be done with it." Of course, they're doing that so they can get their prorated salaries. But it would be something that they the two sides agreed on, and that, that has to help down the road. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and, you know, <laughs> you know, when I, when they agreed so quickly at the in March to the, at March 26th on to that deal, I really took that as a good sign of things to come. And now it's spiraled into a mud wrestling match, which I guess I should have expected. And um, but I think you're right, Jamie, if they could get some kind of deal here, just they could both, you know, Rob Manfred and Tony Clark could just kind of shake hands, sit at a dais and answer questions. And even if, you know, you're still seething at each other, 
maybe, you know, you, you create some goodwill for the game and maybe you'd understand how close you push this game to, uh, you know, another uh, right to the edge and, um, and you wouldn't do it again in, at the end of the t- uh, 2021 season. I mean, at the very least, you don't want to be have attached to your name, attached to your obituary, whether you're Rob Manfred or Tony Clark or anybody else. You are the guys who killed an entire season. As you know, we, we've lost portions of seasons. We've lost the World Series before. We've lost the start of seasons before. But we've never had an entire calendar year without baseball. And that seems like that's that's steps that are just I, I can't imagine the two sides are so determined to get their pound of flesh that they're willing to to go that far. But I could be wrong. <laughs> I agree with you. I, I really do. I think I don't know if there's cooler heads will prevail. I don't know if there's any cooler heads left in both camps, but I think an agreement is going to be reached. All right, our second uh, Hey Hoynesy comes from Anthony Wimberly of Orlando. And he says, Hey Hoynesy, the Indians just drafted two high school shortstops. Did you know that, Paul? I, I wouldn't sure <laughs> yes, if you I, knew that. <laughs> <laughs> they have a farm system full of shortstops. Well, yes, they probably do. But then again, every team needs two. Uh, but they aren't ready. Is there any chance they keep Francisco Lindor through 2021 while trying to sign him? and then get a draft pick and compensation if he leaves. Well, you know, I, Jamie, I think, uh, I think there is, you know, we've seen them do it before. Uh, they rode uh, Michael Brantley out through free agency. Uh, but I think this is a different case here. I think you're talking about a different kind of player. You're talking about, you know, he, you know, Frankie says he's one wants to be paid like one of the top five players in the game, and he just might be one of the top five players. And I don't know if you can let that guy walk just for a draft pick, you know, just for. And uh, I think you've, I think uh, at you, they have serious. I don't know if they've missed the point. Maybe they should have traded him during the winter. I didn't really, you know, disagree with their strategy. When I thought, you know, they had one more, they could take another shot at making the postseason with with Lindor. But, you know, this season has been turned upside down since then, you know, and and it's easy to second guess them. But I would think whatever happens at this at the end of this year, um, you know, if they play or they don't play when when the fro- when the rosters are unfrozen and transactions are allowed to be made, be made, I think they'll seriously consider trading them. I think. Just if you look at the financial situation of the Indians, I think they're going to be, you know, they're going to be on wobbly legs uh, after losing so much, uh, you know, revenue, ticket sales and concessions and parking, merchandising. You know, even if they don't have to pay the player payroll uh, if there's no season, I just think it, it, it just seems to me that you, you, you've, they've got to kind of recoup at, at, at some time. You know, do they pay? Do they want to keep Lindor if there's no season and pay him seventeen and a half million again next year? I, you know, I just think that right now, the the they are probably leaning toward trading him sometime at the after this season, and I I, I would think that you almost have to do it to my in in my opinion. I also think, uh, and this is kind of a reflection of fans who are, you know. They're fanatics. That's the 
the original form of the word. And they just want to cling on to an idea that maybe they can come up with a deal with Lindor. And I just, uh, if it was a long shot a year ago, and it became a long shot during spring training when the talks went nowhere, I think it became impossible this year. Because like you said, the, the team has lost a considerable amount of income, and that's not going to make them paupers. I mean, you know, they have, they will be able to, you know, still have a baseball team. But I just don't know how you can, you know, in good faith to the rest of your spend what would probably be 25%, 27%, 30% of your whole payroll on one person. I, I just don't know how that works. Yeah, that's a great point, Jamie. Uh, you know, I think, you know, th- th- they have resisted rebuilding for such a long time. You know, they've had this great run, seven straight winning seasons. But if you look at, at their roster right now, they are positioned to maybe really take, you know, to start, not a complete start over, but but I think, you know, half of the, almost half of their roster is, is you know, is getting paid, you know, at, at the major league minimum or just above the major league minimum. And, uh, you know, you take uh, Lindor away from that, you know, you've got a lot of room to, uh, to, to rebuild, to, to, you know, kind of reconfigure and retool your, your roster. And I don't know if that's what we're coming to, but that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Well, it's, it's an interesting question, but the idea that they have, that they've been drafting shortstops, they're doing yeah. that because what the shortstops are considered the best athletes in the field anyway. Right. Right. And they're players who can be moved to other positions because they've got the skill set that should be, should allow them to do that. Um, so I don't think drafting shortstops, I think that's just a philosophy of the, of the franchise. You know, you get pitchers that you feel like you can develop and they draft shortstops. Right. You know, Shortstops, center fielders, and catchers. I mean, the idea of going up the middle has uh, always been, I've always gotten the impression that's where they feel the, the best um, best likelihood for success is in, in kind of loading up on those folks. Anyway, Definitely. anyway, we will take a, a little break here, and we'll be back on the other side with a little trip down memory lane for both of us on uh, – Baseball games that just never quite leave our memory. We'll be back with Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast in just a moment. We are back on... Uh, Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast, Paul Hoynes on the other side and Jamie Turner on this side filling in for Joe Noga. And just want to remind you that uh, if you're uh, a big uh, baseball fan and you want to get the latest information, uh, you should sign up with the Indians Insider with Paul Hoynes uh, through our subtext program. Uh, You can find the links uh, to do so at the bottom of pretty much every story that Paul writes. And it will allow you for uh, $3.99 a month to get 
uh, text messages directly to your phone that Paul writes in the moment on observations from that day, the, the whatever news is breaking, you'll get it first. Uh, it will give you a direct access and you can respond to Paul. Uh, you can uh, either contribute Hayes or you, if you have a really good question that Paul thinks needs to be answered to a wider audience, he'll respond directly and the entire uh, audience of our baseball insiders will benefit from your uh, good question and Paul's knowledge. So uh, there's a free trial for 14 days. Like I said, it's $3.99 a month. Uh, the Indians Insider, give it a try. All right, Paul, we are, it's, there's a, almost a, a sense that there, we need to talk actual baseball. We need to have something that makes us happy, right? I mean, yeah, this is. It's a good, this, yeah, definitely. And what uh, I was thinking about was, uh, first of all, I like the idea of, you know, everybody, all of uh, Sports Time Ohio, to, to uh, start this, has been replaying Indians games from 97 up to the last year uh, because there isn't anything else for them to put on their uh, channel. And it made me think of what were the two or three games that when you think of all the baseball you've witnessed come to mind first, the things that really matter to you. And that sparked a different question, which we'll start with, which we'll initiate this with. When was the last time you went to game and wasn't working? <laughs> Jeez, oh man, that's a, that's a good one, Jamie. Uh, it seems like I'm always at the ballpark one way or the other, and I'm always working. But I think there was a, I went to a game about four or five years ago uh, just to sit in the bleachers. I had nothing to do, and I, I had never sat in the bleachers at Progressive Field, and I just wanted to see what it was like, you know. So I went down there, got a, got a. I think I, I had a beer and a hot dog, sat in the stands, and you know, you know what I, and I, I enjoyed it. It was a nice day. It was, <clears throat> you know, a nice summer day. But the thing that got me was how slow the game looked like from from the, out there. You know, mm -hmm. it, it you lose perspective of the speed of the game how fast and how quick the players really have to be on an individual basis and it looked it looked the game looked very easy from the bleachers to me is that because for a little bit of time you had actually taken off the reporter's you know ball cap and thought okay i'm just here as a fan how do i observe this and does that mean that the players that struck you as more athletic than you necessarily thought of, or it was, or the game was a little too slow for them, or I, I slow is what I'm trying yeah, to understand. Yeah, I, I, I you no, know, no, you know when when you're watching from uh, the press box, you get a feeling for how hard a ball is hit, and and you know how fast a guy is going down first base and to first base, and you know what 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 the range of a fielder is. And I kind of, I just lost that. I lost that from the bleachers. I, I Maybe I wasn't a, uh, I had to be, you know, spend some more time out there because I spent a lot of time in the bleachers at, at Old Municipal Stadium just uh, hanging out because those were the cheapest state seats. But, uh, but I just, uh, I, you know, it just struck me that, that the game, the players, the pace of the game looked slower from the bleachers. I kind of lost that 
perspective. And I don't know if that was just, a, a, you know, from being farther away from home plate. Right. How did, did people recognize you? No, no, no. I, I just, nobody. nobody well, you go in with a wig? How, how yeah, do people nobody, know who Nobody you threw are? anything at me, so that was good. But no, no, I was, uh, I was thinking, I, I don't know if I heard John Adams. Yeah, John Adams was there banging the drum. I don't, I don't think I said hello to him, though. Man, this is a very antisocial event that you went to. That you, <laughs> I, I just got an incognito. <laughs> I, I don't know. Anybody who's heard Paul laugh would find a, a, a reason to say, wait a second, I know that. And well, good for you. I it, I, I wonder because, you know, you've you've it's now what? How many years? Thirty seven. Yeah. Yeah. Since uh, 1983 was my first. Yeah. So this would be the 37th year yeah. uh, if they play. Um, so you're talking. Oh boy, this is going to test my mathematical skills. Uh, you're talking what, five thousand plus games over? You know, and that doesn't include spring training and doesn't include postseason. Oh my uh, god! <laughs> yeah, because I might explain why my mind is turned on oatmeal. Yeah. <laughs> 30 years would be like 4,800 games. So, so exactly, it's closer probably to 6,000 uh, if we talk about 36 years. So, hey, congratulations. You've been around a while. <laughs> a long time. Too long. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right, let's go, let's go to our games. Um, I think we can each pick two. I think we both gave this a little bit of thought. Yes, we're not doing this right off the cuff. We actually think about this a little bit. And I'll I'll start with my number two because I have a feeling our number one is going to be the same game. My number two was I I was um, nineteen in Mark Fisher's first year uh, with the Tigers, and uh, as some Indians fans may remember, if if they're of a certain age, his first win in the major leagues was against the Indians. Uh, on a on a rainy day that it looked like he threw everything between the knee and the ankle and people would you know I never saw anybody with the control he had he he could hit any spot pretty much anytime he wanted to but that was in May he didn't get his first win because he was in the bullpen for, for this to start the season he gets the first one in May and of course everybody remembers the big game that's the only game ESPN ever replays that is Mark Fidrich which our MLB network which is the game against the Yankees in late June I went to the next home game against uh, that P Fidrich pitched which was against the Baltimore Orioles on July 3rd and they were going to have a fireworks demonstration after the game. So there was going to be a big crowd. They were there, and I and I swear to God, this is true. An hour before the game, the stadium was full. They wanted to see him warm up. They were chanting, let's go bird. The moment his head popped out of the dugout. He pitches as I recall, um, of shutout, or if not, it was maybe 5-1. Uh, and in one inning, the Orioles loaded the bases, and he struck out the next three guys to get out of it. And 
I've heard loud things in my life. I, I was sitting in the uh, left field bleachers and I, I was afraid that people were so excited. They were jumping up and down so hard that either the upper deck would fall or they would tumble out of it. And if you remember, <laughs> Paul, there was this big fence yeah. that, that in the upper deck because I think they worried about that sort of thing. The fence was 10 feet high. But I was thinking, they're, they're so excited, somebody's going to try to climb the fence. And I, it was unbelievable to watch. There were two curtain calls, not just one. And the Orioles stayed in the dugout after the game to watch. That's great. I was, I was because my angle was directly into the, uh, look into the Orioles dugout. And that was the Reggie Jackson year that uh, Jackson was playing with the Orioles. Sure. And they, you know, and as Paul would, would be able to confirm, Tiger Stadium's dugouts were tiny. Oh, my God. And they were low. And you didn't, nobody stayed in those dugouts if they didn't have to. You know, once the game is over, get to the clubhouse. Because yeah. There's no point. But the, uh, my rec- recollection is every position player, I don't know about the pitchers, I think they came in from the bullpen and probably went in, but every position player sat in the dugout and watched the craziness after the game. It was unbelievable. And it never left me. It, it's, it's for pure joy, you know, for a team that wasn't good. But for to watch Fidrich that year was just, beyond anything that I can come up with on it. That's a great point. And Jamie, if you look at his numbers, his rookie year, I mean, oh my God, today they would never let him pitch as much as he pitched. Oh, right. How many innings did he, I mean, he had over 200 innings, didn't he? His rookie year. Easily. Easily. And I'm just thinking, God, they, they would have, they would have had him on a pitch count. They would have got him out of there after seven innings every time. And this guy was like, he, they, they treated him like a veteran guy. Right. No, it, you know, uh, Ralph Houck was the manager yeah. uh, that year. And Ralph Houck, you know, with the Yankees, you know, he, guys, if they pitched well, they pitched. They didn't, you know, here's, here's the statistics. He had, he started 29 games. He pitched twice in relief. He had 250.1 innings, uh, which is insane. How many complete games or how many? He he had, uh, (laughs) okay, you're allowed to guess. There were 29 starts. I'd say 15. Uh, You have to go higher. 18. Higher. 20. Higher. 23. 24. 24 complete games out of 29 for a guy who was 21 years old. Oh my God. You know, today those GMs, they would have been, they would have been down in that dugout. (laughs) Ralph Houck wouldn't have made it through the season. No, he wouldn't have been. The general manager would have come down and said, no, you you're gone. We're we're not going to abuse this. This is, this is the franchise. You got to protect them. (laughs) And it, Everything about and the and the thing is, he got through the year fine. He was he was perfectly yeah. healthy. You know, he was uh, obviously the rookie of the year. He was second for the Cy Young. Uh, he was started the All Star game. He was eleventh for the MVP uh, for a team that was bad. Uh, it, everything about Fittich that year. Unfortunately, the spring training the next year, 
things started to fall apart and yeah. they never returned, re, never recovered. But all right, so that's my uh, number two. What's yours? Yeah, I, uh, Jamie, I can, I've got to go back to uh, game five of the ALCS in uh, 2016 with Ryan Merritt uh, coming out of nowhere. You know, they, they, the Indians had ke- kind of kept him in their back pocket, the left-hander, little skinny lefty. They had run out of pitching. They had all those injuries. And, uh, you know, Bauer was couldn't pitch because of the bloody finger and and uh, Carrasco and and uh, and uh, what's-his-face, Salazar. Salazar yep. were down. And uh, they turned it over to Merritt. And uh, what, I, I, who, who was the, uh, the Toronto uh, outfielder, the bat Bautista said, I bet he's shaking in his boots the, the day before. And Mayor throws like four and a, four and a third scoreless innings. Uh, you know, could have gone. He only threw like, I was looking this up, 49 pitches. Doesn't allow a run. It looked like he could have pitched all night to me. But, you know, uh, Tito goes to that great bullpen that they had. They went three nothing. And uh, I just remember the uh, the look in his his eyes, Merritt's eyes. He, he like, he looked like. He couldn't believe what just happened. You know, it just, just, it was just such a, a great, great story. And, uh, and just to see a kid like that, and he had pitched earlier in the year and he had done really well. I mean, in spot starts, he pitched well, but at that stage with so much at stake and he, you know, gives them the chance to go to the world series. And, uh, and also, you know, Carlos Santana's catch, for the final out when he, you know, kind of is kneeling and, and in supplication by the dugout that right. I thought that that's the game that kind of sticks with me. I, I remember, well, this is easy to remember because uh, sports time Ohio actually replayed this game uh, over last weekend, as I recall. And I was, I watched it as well. And I was, I remembered it from the, from when it occurred, but it was reinforced the close-ups they would show of him. While he was on the mound, his eyes were really large, but he had this smile. You know, it, it, it might have been a nervous smile. I don't know. Yeah. It, he might not have been aware of it, but it, you got the sense of this is the most comfortable pitcher in a situation where he had no right to be comfortable. You know, yes, they were up 3 1, and yes, you know, whatever happened wasn't really yeah. you know, dire, but. I, I don't know that I ever saw a, a pitcher who in that moment looked so attuned to it. He, he just was so sure, you know, I'm just going to throw this change up and then I'll throw a change up off the change up. And here's my 86 mile an hour fastball. Looks like a hundred now, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, it, 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 it was astonishing and how the blue Jays never responded to it. Yeah. They, they were never right. adjusted. They, yeah. they had that lineup of home run hitters, Encarnacion and Bautista, and they all kept taking those big hacks, and they had no chance. They they had no chance. Yeah, he he made them look silly for four for into the fifth inning. And you're right, the hit he gave up was a, a, a jam job that just fell into into the outfield, uh, and you know out comes Tito. And I, I and I remember at the time thinking, oh come on, let him get five innings, let him yeah, get the right. win, if this is going to work out. But that wasn't the way Tito was managing that. No, he year. didn't manage that way in no, that, no. That, and, that in that series. Yeah, right and, and and bless him because that's how they got to where they got. So yeah. you know, 
And, you know, there was another thing about that game, Jamie, that uh, Coco Crisp hits a home run. And, you know, you look back at that postseason that Coco had, just kind of, you know, when they picked him up from uh, from uh, Oakland in, in August, ah, Coco Crisp, you know. He got one big hit after another in the postseason. That was a guy that loved the big stage. It couldn't be big enough for him. And and he, you know, he, he loved it. He loved that spotlight. And I thought that was a great underrated pickup by the front office. And it, it now you're going to force me to think of the one, the game that Coco Chris couldn't finish, which oh. I suspect, which I suspect is our number one. You yeah. know, I think we both had the same game. It's obviously game seven of 2016. And, once in the t- in the tenth inning, once the Blue Jays got guys in running a scoring position, Coco Chris was playing right field and got pulled for yeah. Michael Martinez, Ugh, and man. who of course would be coming up in the bottom of the inning, run one run down, but a guy on base, Michael Martinez, and and I, it's like, yes, I know Martinez certainly must have had his. I think almost everybody on the team had a stronger throwing arm than Coco Crisp. Yeah, yeah, that was. But, but, oh God, it just killed me when in the bottom of the of the tenth to see. Oh no, this is, here it is. We are down to the twenty fifth man, and this <laughs> is the guy. And you know, I, I'm sure he did everything he could have, but it sure would have been nicer to have Crisp yeah. batting in that place. Yeah, but anyway, was... so so we're at game seven, and okay, you go and and because you're you have more insight to, to I the just, players. I just remember how how Progressive Field sounded like Wrigley Field for most of that game. It just you know the all the Indians fans that had been given extra tickets sold them to the Cubs fans. The Cubs were they'd come in there, and at, until that one moment when when Raja hit the home run, and finally, you know, it sounded like the Indians were playing at home. And I, I've never like with Fidrich, with you at Tiger stadium, I have never heard the ballpark that long, that loud. When, when uh, a Raja hits the line drive home run off Chapman to tie it up. And I thought, okay, they, they, they've got to win this now. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, they have got to win this now. And, uh, but obviously it didn't happen. The rain delay, that rain delay is still kind of irritates me that, they couldn't play through that. That I, what was it? Twelve? It seemed like it was lasted five minutes. I know it was like twelve, seventeen minute rain delay. Yeah, it, it, they were it, they were back on the field at fifteen. So. Yeah, I just thought you okay. Come on, you're really going to stop this game? I mean, I know it's a game seven of the World Series, but I that that I thought that kind of changed the uh, momentum a little bit. My memory of of Davis's home run. Now I was down the the right field line in the auxiliary press box, uh, getting ready to edit stories and, and things. And I remember there were two sounds when Davis hit the hit the ball. There was a guttural wail for about a second that I realized afterwards was the Cubs fans reacting. Oh. They, they knew something bad was going to happen because it always does to the Cubs. And as soon as he hit it, there was just this little burst of, ah! <laughs> and then all the Indians fans reacted. And it, so it's, eh, whoa! <laughs> and, 
and, and like you, I was thinking, I, I turned to Dave Campbell, our, the manager of our department, and I looked. we looked at each other and I said, they're actually going to win the World Series. This is unbelievable. And I, what I remember after the rain delay, besides the, the, the run score, well, actually before the rain delay, the, the bottom of the ninth, after Lindor makes the nice defensive play to, oh, to, that was a great play. You know, to prevent the run from scoring in the top of the ninth, uh, Carlos Santana was the first guy up against Chapman, who was obviously gassed by this point. But the, the Indians' respect for his fastball, even though he wasn't throwing it, I think really limited their ability to be aggressive in the, in the ninth. The first pitch to Santana was a hanging slider. It came right across the middle of the plate. There was, it screamed, hit me. But Carlos was looking for the fastball. And something a little off speed just kind of, you know, made him flinch a little bit and he didn't swing. And because I whenever I see the replays and I see that pitch, I'm thinking, that's home run. That's that's the ball Carlos just hammers. And it you know, at least gets extra bases. And they were so concerned about Chapman, maybe because Davis hit a slider. And they thought, well, he won't throw that again. He'll only throw fastballs. Right. And, and he didn't. And that, you know, obviously didn't work out <laughs> really well. But it, it, that game for just a suspense, as soon as the, uh, the two runs scored against John Lester that made the game competitive yeah. again, from that point on, I mean, it was a classic. There was, you know, all the emotions going up and down from, and the fact that there were a lot of Cubs fans added to it because, you know, they would be cheering for the Cubs and then some Indians fans would try to drown them out. And then the Indians would, the fans would cheer and the Cubs fans couldn't wash that out. There were still more Indians fans right. than the Cubs, no matter what you're told. <laughs> the Cubs fans all had better seats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they all had better seats because they were they were all paying 2000 bucks for, a, yeah, for a seat, yeah, right. you know, 10 rows from the field. But, uh, but there were more Indians fans there and just, just to watch the emotions going back and forth. It, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. And, and, so, and how far uh, Raja was choked up on the bat. Oh, God. I mean, I, was, you look back on it now and God almighty, I mean, he was that he was so, you know, he's just and he just it was the right the right call to, you know, help him, you know, get his swing going faster. And oh, what a and, you know, listening to Hammy's call and that as and even Joe Buck's call. Great, great, great moment. And, and uh, uh, it was John Smoltz, I think, that was doing the color with uh, Joe Buck. So, yeah. Yeah, and he actually predicted yeah. for you know that the only pitch he's looking for is something down and in because that's the only ball he's really going to be able to turn on. And there it went. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was and and when you saw how far he was, uh, Davis was choking the bat, you're like, "Yep, that's the only he yeah. knows that's the only ball that he's going to be able to hit." Yeah, you know, he he did not want to be jammed. That's right. Yeah, that was that was that was, what a moment, man. Oh. Yeah. See, now we just spent 10 or 12 minutes that was fun talking about baseball. We, we should figure out a way to keep doing this. Oh, wait, that's we right. are going to yeah. keep doing this. Yeah, that's right. We got, we got two more of these this week, folks. So uh, come on back and we'll uh, try to do it again and 
and uh, be both informative and entertaining. Uh, we, we're probably a little better at the first than the second, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, so this has been uh, the Wednesday uh, Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Jamie Turner with Paul Hoynes. Have a good rest of the day, and we'll see you next time. And we are done. <laughs>